With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkoff, one of your co-hosts, joined by your other co-host. That means Chris Kotmar. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. And Riley Fessler, how are you this fine day, Riley? Not too bad. It's the beginning of February, a whole new month, so I'm sure all the stories are brand new and don't reflect any of the continuing problems of the world, right? Exactly. There are no problems. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, everything's, everything's Feb- fine, folks. Just February. relax. Is it February uh, now? It is yeah, February. Yeah, it's February freaking 1st. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so when they, when it turns to February, they're gonna, everything they're gonna disappears. Take, they're going to take news from you because you don't even know what <laughs> day it is. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Anyway, so Riley reported yesterday that uh, CEOs of social media companies uh, were to appear in front of Congress to be grilled, and that's exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, not only were these CEOs questioned, grilled, however you want to refer to it, um, but the parents of children who were impacted um, by social media platforms, held up signs, pictures. Um, and at one point, uh, 
they asked um, Josh Hawley, I believe was the one doing the questioning, asked Zuckerberg to apologize, uh, which he did. Um, I saw a clip later from one of the parents who said, uh, essentially, that was bullshit because he was told to do it. Um, and oh, by the way, Meta's being sued uh, by one of the families um, for the damage that this caused. So there are most definitely um, things that need to be done to address this uh, to add to the pile of shit that we're going through right now. Well, no question, but glad that it's being done. Shocked that Josh Hawley actually did something that was kind of a net positive. Um, all of his worst, uh, you know, b- a legislative jerk traits of badgering people actually did produce a response out of Zuckerberg, which was semi-human. Um, uh, and uh, we've got a long way to go until we tackle this problem. Uh, public displays of uh, anger or contempt, uh, not the way to do it. Riley? Well, we covered the uh, plane, uh, military transport plane being shot down or at least crashed in Russia, uh, and it was alleged by Russia that it contained Ukrainian prisoners of war. Um, And while Ukraine denied those claims, uh, there were still fears that this would kind of put a halt or at least a pause on the exchange of prisoners of war. Um, But we found out that that is not the case as several hundred uh, prisoners of war were exchanged yesterday, uh, Russia reported that 195 of its soldiers were exchanged while 207 Ukrainians were returned to Ukraine. So this is kind of one of the staples of the conflict that prisoners of war have been continually allowed to be exchanged. Uh, 3,000 Ukrainians and at least 1,200 Russians have been exchanged since the onset of the war. So it's good to see that this is continuing despite the scuffle over this plane and questions about how it crashed and what was actually on it. Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, uh, something encouraging. Chris has even more encouraging news on this front. Um, Congress approved funding for Ukraine. <laughs> no, no, sorry, buddy. Sorry, the stress is getting to you. It's not, that's not what happened. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. The EU uh, confirmed that the 27 EU countries have reached an agreement on an aid package for Ukraine. That's 27 countries, 27 different countries agreed. Uh, including, despite, including Hungary. And, and despite Viktor Orban's you know, threat of uh, veto, uh, came to an agreement, which just, of course, gets me wondering uh, why they can put together a deal with 27 countries and how many, our how many countries how 27 many 27 i just wanted to make sure no it's that. a significant look and, ukraine and, and how much was the, the the amount of money in the deal the package was 50 billion euros exactly um, so um roughly you know the same size as what the united states is trying to get cleared out of its congress but hey maybe um, you know, people like Mike Johnson and some of the right wingers in the House who idolize Viktor Orban may follow in his footsteps and say, "Okay, we have we you know we have permission from one of our favorite autocrats 
um, to step up. No sign of that just yet, but we can hope. Riley? European farmers are continuing their pretty aggressive protests. Uh, This time, uh, farmers in Brussels were throwing eggs and stones and starting fires near the European Parliament building, setting off fireworks, demanding more support from EU leaders for tax relief and rising costs. Um, Police had to intervene uh, using tear gas and water hoses uh, as the farmers, which they're estimated to be around 1,300 tractors blocking major roads um and they were voicing their frustrations over what they call in what they say is inadequate compensation high taxes stringent environmental regulations and unfair international competition um so these protests have been across europe we covered france before but it also includes italy spain portugal um so it's a pretty serious protest uh it there seems to be no end in sight the eu leaders have made some serious concessions, but the leaders of the protests say it's not enough and are still demanding more. So we'll see what kind of agreement they come to to halt this protest. But It's probably unfair, but as a former U.S. trade official, my first reaction is cry me a river, baby. Um, you know, the Europeans do a lot to prop up their farmers and uh, make competition with those farmers unfair. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, that's uh, especially, um, uh, you know, beneficial to big corporate farmers, um, and some of the smaller players uh, are struggling. Uh, the struggles will continue as we head into a year in which there are some considerable deflationary pressures, which should bring prices down, which should squeeze margins. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised uh, to see uh, protests like these elsewhere, including here in the U.S. Chris? Uh, in an, a surprising development, um, Iran, or the U.S. believes that Iran leadership is concerned uh, about a direct confrontation uh, with the United States. Uh, we've been reporting this story for a few days now. And it seems we're getting closer to a U.S. response. Um, they're considering um, ways to uh, respond in kind without necessarily directly confronting uh, Iran. Um, I think tomorrow will probably, I mean, I'm, I'm not making any sort of prediction, but I think we're, we're to the point where We'll be reporting uh, what action was actually took place. You know whether it's drones or um, targeted missile attacks. I think we're very close to uh, seeing something happen. And then you know what what becomes of that? You know what's what's the outcome of that uh, in the Middle East? I uh, don't know. You know, I saw a story in the Daily Telegraph today in which. Uh it reported that, uh, you know, the Houthis, uh, you know, actively training kids to become rebels. Um, and uh, it suggests that their view and Iran's view, and this is long term, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, many of these struggles in the region are not going to go away overnight. There is not going to be a single uh, retaliation for a drone strike or an attack on a ship um, that is going to put this to sleep. Iran's long-term interests are at stake, and I think 
what that means is that they uh, that that these these problems will continue uh, to fester. One of the things that can take the some of the tension out of that um, would be some kind of ceasefire in Gaza, which has inflamed a lot of these things. Um, and uh, you know, there 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 again continuing to be some reports that there is some progress on a phased approach being made in which some hostages would be released and some Palestinian hostages, and then there would be a cessation of fighting for some period of time, and that would then be followed by further uh, hostage releases and progress towards some kind of lasting peace. It's all amorphous right now. Um, We should also add that uh, The U.S. seems to be changing its stance a bit towards the Israelis. Yesterday, there were reports that the State Department um, uh, has begun examining, as the U.K. has, the possibility of recognizing the Palestinian state. Um, uh, Those reports were then played down, and they just said, well, this is among the many things we're considering. But somebody leaked that we were considering it, and so it was, you know, purposeful. Uh, and uh, today there's a report from Politico um, that uh, the White House and 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 uh, the rest of the government are considering ways to sanction West Bank settlers who, um, uh, you know, uh, are involved in expropriating land from the Palestinians and attacks on the Palestinians. Um, and this is, you know, the, that these two things happened one day after another should not be seen as a coincidence. What it should be seen as that the United States is saying, now we have to start applying some pressure to Israel. Many people will say it's too little and too late, but it's certainly encouraging to see that there is some now. Riley? Uh, India has escalated its naval presence uh, east of the Red Sea, deploying at least a dozen warships, uh, including two frontline warships, and as well as 10 in the northern and western Arabian Sea. Um, so this is a pretty serious um, kind of development for India. They're not part of the U.S.'s coalition in the area, which is why they're kind of east of the Red Sea, not in the Red Sea itself. Um, but they've been making big moves to try and counter piracy. Um, they've underscored that it's their most significant deployment in the region, uh, and they say that it's kind of highlighting their commitment to international maritime security. They've investigated over 250 vessels in the last two months uh, and encountered at least 17 piracy-related incidents since December 1st. So they're definitely taking a bigger role in the region, which I think is a huge development. Uh, I'm kind of curious what other forms that might take moving forward, but I was curious what your thoughts were, David. Well, you know, they do call it the Indian Ocean for for a reason. Um, you know, the, the all this you know large body of water in the proximity of India is strategically important to India, and India is playing a bigger and bigger strategic role in the world. Um, and uh, given that uh, China is building up its blue water navy, and India sees China as its primary rival, um, this is being you know this seems uh, unsurprising and. Uh, given the role that India is playing as part of the Quad, the four nations with the United States, uh, Australia, and Japan that are counterbalancing uh, China or seeking to counterbalancing China, this doesn't seem that surprising either. I do think that as we look at developments in the uh, Middle East, it's important that we 
view them not just in the context of the crises of today, but in the longer term strategic context, and that's what I'm talking about here, um, where a lot of what's happening is overshadowed or will be overshadowed by competition between the U.S. and its allies and China and its allies. Um, uh, did see a story yesterday, by the way, that said that the United States' close support for Israel, which has inflamed much of the world, has played into China's favor um, as it seeks to curry favor and build alliances across the global south because the global south are so alienated by where the U.S. has come out. Uh, this is another reason, I think, to um, think carefully about what the U.S. does next here and to uh, uh, you know, possibly assess, not possibly, and to assess what has been done um, uh, as, a, as a mistake on multiple levels. Um, uh, by the way, we had a uh, spectacularly good conversation uh, yesterday with one of India's best-known, uh, most thoughtful commentators, uh, Rana Ayub, who uh, sometimes is a columnist for the Washington Post, also writes in India, um, and has been a, 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 a critic of the Modi administration for its assault on democracy, and in particular for its form of Hindu nationalism, which targets Muslims uh, in India. Uh, very eye-opening, particularly in the context of India flexing its muscles. Uh, it's the world's largest democracy, but democracy in India is uh, uh, ill and uh, and really deserves your attention. So I'd encourage you to listen to me and our friend Ed Luce talking to Ron Ayub uh, yesterday. Later today, we've got uh, coming up a new pod on American politics um, with uh, Simon Rosenberg and Tara McGowan, who join us each and every month to talk about campaign 2024 uh, and when necessary, more than once a month. And uh, uh, they are among the very, very best analysts out there. They're among the ones that um, helped us call uh, the, the 2022 elections as not containing a big red wave, as many predicted. Um, uh, so the track record is good, and you should join us for that as well. Until then, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Riley. Thank you, everybody. And uh, have a good February. Bye-bye. <laughs>